0: chorus we've been singing bless the lord oh my soul oh it's oh, too low i'm sorry i started to but i'm always starting things too low you have to sing them in the basement with me bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul I worship your holy name. You can do the first verse maybe. The sun comes out, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your praise again. Whatever pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I worship your holy name. Let us pray. Our Father, may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of all of our hearts, all that we say and do and think be pleasing to you and bring praise and honor and glory to your name. Lord, we ask that you speak to us through your holy word, that we might know you better, draw near to you, live closer to you and be faithfully obedient and respond in the ways you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, where are we in Ephesians? Chapter three. We're at the beginning of chapter three. And what's the theme of the, what's the topic or general theme of these Bible studies? The The many-splendored wisdom of God, which is a description We'll get that actually, where I've used that, that term comes in this today's passage. I did, it's not my own translation, I got it from a guy named Mitten. So I'll give credit, It's the, the footnote is on your nose to tell you where I got that phrase, many splendid wisdom of God, from. But uh, the many splendid wisdom of God in His grand design for the redemption of the universe. Uh, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that's... And we saw at the beginning that Paul began in the Graham Thanksgiving in chapter one by describing all the the, the every spiritual blessing in every places that is ours, giving thanks to God for those that is that is that are ours as a part and in participation in participation in God's uh, many splendored wisdom, his grand design. Then he immediately moves into a prayer for, for his hearers for for spiritual enlightenment, that the eyes of their hearts might be open, that they might understand, because the truth, it's tied to truth, to facts, to things that happen, and to the Word of God. It's not just some esoteric kind of thing floating around in the air, but we only really understand and grasp it when God enlightens us and opens our hearts to receive it. Paul is well aware of that. Um, And so he, he prays that God will open their eyes, and one of the things, of course, that he wants them to see, well, he, he wants them to see not just one of the things, I'll, I'll give the list. He wants them to grasp what is the hope of their calling and what are the riches of the glory of their inheritance in the saints. Those two go close together, all that God has for them in, this, in, many splendored, in His many-splendored wisdom. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power when He raised Christ from the dead, seated Him at the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and so forth. And then he moves right from that. He's going into their own—in chapter 2, he moves to their own experience, and he moves right to their experience of the resurrected power of Christ, because he says, what's happened to you? And in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, You were lifeless. You had no sensitivity to things of God. You were gone, but in Christ Jesus, you have been made alive. Um, that's that's the, f- the verses 1 to 10. But then that flows right out of his talking about the resurrection power of Christ. But then he moves into the second is, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You were without Christ. You were hopeless. You were without hope and without God in this vast universe. But now, in Jesus Christ, you, the nations of the world who are far away, the non-Jewish nations of the world, you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. You participate in the community life of the people of God and members of God's household built firmly upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets who bear witness to the cornerstone, because this is all in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, in whom now you are being built together, you're built, being built together for a holy habitation of God through the Spirit. So now this is: you were aliens, but now you are one body with the with with the Jews and one people of God. You are reconciled. Christ is your peace, who brings you to God and brings you together. You have access to the Father through one Spirit, and you are indeed the dwelling place of God. Now. I think I promised you I'd say this. I'd forgotten I promised you, but I remember as I'm standing here, so I better fulfill my promise. These images of being a temple and the body of Christ are very... It doesn't seem like it. Body of Christ, temple. They don't seem like the same, but they're very closely related. You see, the whole Bible is about God bringing us into fellowship with Himself. It's, It's about... Really, that's, that's one way of saying, but it's about God loving us and us loving God. <laughs> and coming into fellowship with Him as a new people of God. That's the Bible from the beginning to the end. Look at how God dwells among us. In the Old Testament, of course, He came and dwelt in the temple, the tabernacle of the people, tabernacle in the temple, in the midst of the people of God in the Holy Land. It was holy because God dwelled there, and it was the place where they were to live in fellowship with Him. So that fellowship was limited through their sinfulness and God's holiness. Then the second thing is we have Christ Himself is the new temple, the new locus of God's dwelling among us. We're told that in John chapter 1, that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us just as God tabernacled among His people in the Old Testament. In John chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it up, and we're told He's talking about that, destroy the temple in three days, He's talking about the temple of His body. It's no longer the temple in Jerusalem, but it is now in, in the incarnate Son of God. There is the temple, there is the dwelling place, and so the temple has now become the body of Christ. You got You with me? Now, we are the body of Christ. The, 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 through the Holy Spirit we are unified to Him in one body, and so the idea of body and temple come closely together to emphasize our unity with God through the Spirit in Christ. And so there's a, it runs right through. Now, this middle one is very important because it has, it, in the Old Testament it was our sinfulness and our, uh, uh, that, that separated between us and our God. We could not approach Him. But in Christ, when the God, Son of God became a human being and took, when He dwelt there, He dealt with that sin problem. You see, in Jesus' day, if I'm a leper, touch me, John. Now, what had what just happened to John? He became unclean. But if John, if John is Jesus, touch me, John. You touch me. Now, what happened then? I became clean because Jesus took on our hum- I, I, And that's the way I think of Jesus taking on our humanity. It's like His reaching out and cleansing the leper. He reached down and took our humanity upon Himself, and in so doing through His life, through His incarnation, His obedient life, his offering himself according to the will of God, suffering on the cross, he redeemed and cleaned and transformed that humanity. Just like he could tr- touch when he touched a leper, they became clean. And that's why, that is why, today we are the body of Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and Christ is formed within us as a, individually. But the New Testament has an emphasis on as the church, as the body of Christ, we're united to Him, and we are the temple of the living God in which He dwells. You know, the, it, it, temple is good, it's, it's an okay word, but you remember in the Old Testament, and uh, Brother Paul was talking the other night about the court of the Gentiles, and I mentioned it too, and the court of the women, and then the court of Israel, and then the holy place, and then the most holy place. The word here used for temple, uh, it could be used for all of that, but its focus is on the place where, the even in the pagan world, the place where the image of the God was. And so really, we've become the most holy place. Not just the temple in general, but the most holy place, the dwelling place of God. So that's where Paul ended. So you've been, that's who you are, but it's natural. Now he's in chapter 3, he's going to explain God's great design to them, but, but what he's just been saying in these verses, he's been describing their participation in it, Because God's grand design is that the nations of the world, through Christ Jesus, will be united to His people and be this dwelling place of God. So before he begins to describe it, he talks about their experience in it. You have experienced it. Now, we experience it too, but for their historical situation, it was a little bit different for them, because here was the Jewish people, as Paul told them, very distinct, with all of their outward characteristics, their... Their, their sacrifices, their circumcision, their ritual purity. They lived a distinct life, and there were you nations out there. They had that clear, clear experience, but now you have been joined. You are part of the one people of God made up of the Jew, both Jew and, and, and the nations of the world in Christ Jesus and through the one Spirit. Uh, now you, and that is exactly, you have experienced it and now Paul says, and that is exactly that's very integral to God's plan for reconciling everything to Himself in Christ Jesus. So now, in the beginning of chapter three, he he began, he, he, he begins to talk directly about that plan. Here he is where he's going to use the, the phrase that we've translated the many splendored wisdom of God. Um, and then in the end, the end of chapter three. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to get to tomorrow's study because it's, God, it's, it's Paul's prayer that everything he said, not just for spiritual enlightenment as his earlier prayer, that everything he said will, will, will be a reality in their lives. And it climaxes in what verses 18 or 19 with the passage that Brother John referred to the other night, that you might be filled, most translations do, with all the fullness of God, more a, a perhaps a better way of it saying, it, saying it would be, that you might be filled in, into, up into, all the fullness of God. That's the climax of Paul's, pra- uh, Paul's that's the climax of the whole first three chapters. Uh, but I have to save that for tomorrow. Let me put it aside, not get, get carried away with it yet today. So, with chapter th- th- uh, beginning of chapter three here, um, Paul discloses the purpose and plan of God. The Many Splendored Wisdom of God. He's going to talk about it directly now. He's talked about their experience of it. Are you with me there? Are you with me? They've been experienced. But he begins here by talking about his part in it. Because Paul himself, his apostleship, his commission from Christ, what Christ has sent him to do is integral to this plan in a unique way. So he begins, For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the of you, the nations of the world. Now, Paul is literally, of course, prob, well, appears to be in prison because of preaching the gospel. We're not quite sure where he was in prison. There are different interpretations. That doesn't matter for our purposes. Because of preaching the gospel, promote. But, but he is also, and he, and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Um, but he is also, in one sense, the prisoner of Christ because Christ took him. Christ made him the apostle to the Gentiles. You think, you know, I'm, in one sense Paul delighted in his mission, but in another sense, it was not easy. This was not anything self-centered for Paul's benefit. God took him and made him the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who was to be a key person in not only proclaiming the gospel to the nations, but in showing this mystery, that this truth that all that all the nations are included in Christ Jesus, so uh, I'm, I'm so he's a, in one sense a prisoner for the sake of the nations. It's for the sake of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to them. He's bound by Christ to accomplish this mission. He goes on to say, if indeed. This is Paul's key role in God's plan. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which has been given to me for you. Stewardship here is is Paul's commission but it's more than that. It's God's whole strategic plan to to bring the nations uh, into the people of God and into fellowship with God through Christ. Which is given um, stewardship of God's grace which has been given to me for you. Now it's not it's not the stewardship that he's talking about being given to him. It's God's grace that's given to him. It's very clear uh, in, in the text here that it's the stewardship or the administration of the grace of God which has been given to me for you. We've, we've heard a lot about God's grace, all the benefits that are ours through the, through the grace, through the unmerited, but not more than that, through the great goodness of God given to us in Christ. But Paul's using it specifically here. This is the specific grace that has been given to him for, for proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles and for helping people to understand this mystery that, that the nations are included in the people of God. So this is the special grace of God given to Paul for his ministry, and which makes him a conduit for bringing grace to the world and to the nations. And here is the description of it. It, uh, He says, Which has been given to me for you, that by revelation there is made known to me the mystery, as I wrote beforehand in brief. By referring to this, referring to what he's read, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul's is is a key role. The, The inclusion of the nations was revealed to him by God. It is a mystery hidden from the ages. Now, there are all sorts of preparation for it in the Old Testament. When the mystery is revealed you, look at the Old Testament and say, oh, yes. Here is the promise of God to Abraham. It's foreshadowed in God's covenant with His people at Sinai. It's the fulfillment of His promise to David. It's the fulfillment of the New Covenant promises in the prophets. All of this is worked together to prepare, but it wasn't obvious that the there was something there about the Gentiles being included, but it was not obvious at all that this was going to happen in Christ in the way it has happened. And so, Paul, Paul is the one—this is the mystery that's been hidden in God th- from the ages. It's God's grand plan, God's scheme, His many-splendored wisdom, His design for the redemption of the world, which, boom, is now revealed and make sense of everything that's come before. You know, you can read a book, and, and there's some books, um, one of them is G.K. Chesterton, the man that was Thursday. If you don't read the last chapter, you'll miss the whole book, because everything reverses. Well, it's not everything reversing in the Bible, but Christ's coming makes sense of all that is gone before. And so, here is, by revel- by, this was made known to me by revelation. You know, God had to get through it took God something to get through to Paul. You remember the roads to Damascus. Paul could see clearly before he was converted that what that that um, what the Christians were saying would would nullify what he believed a, 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 as a law-abiding Jew, the centrality the continuing centrality of the law. He he saw the difference quite clearly and on the road to the, but on the road to Damascus Christ knocked him down don't think it wasn't just God that Paul saw on the road to Damascus it was the Lord Jesus Christ that spoke to him it's hard for you to, who are you Lord I'm the one whom you persecute God knocked him down I'm glad God didn't have to reveal himself to me him. it was really tough on him. it was a tough, tough revelation and said no I am, and, and, and he led Paul to understand that Christ was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. It was all in Christ. This is, was, uh, was, was the revelation that Paul came to realize. Once he had said, how can you be, how can Christ be the Messiah? Don't you know the Old Testament verse, cursed is everyone that hung on the tree. He was hung on the tree. How can you say he was the Messiah? Now he knows that that hanging on the tree is central because in that hanging on the tree and taking the curse, He took our curse. He, 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 he's, he sees now in the truth. God has revealed it to him. Um, on that road to Damascus, this is the mystery that was hidden from the ages. Now, it's a mystery that is revealed, but it's still a mystery because we cannot plumb the depths of it. The mystery that in Christ, in the incarnation of Christ, and in his obedient life, death and resurrection, ascension and session at God, and taking his seat at God's right hand. Let me avoid that theological word, session. And he's taking his seat at God's right hand. That God fulfills all that was in the Old Testament and opens the way for, for the nations of the world to be incorporated into the people of God in Christ. That grand mystery, it's now revealed, we know what it is. But oh... Who can really understand its depth? Who can understand the love of God? We say it so glibly, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Friends, for God so loved this sinful, wretched world in rebellion against Him that the second person of the blessed Trinity took on our broken humanity and suffered as a human being living obedience that He might redeem us. That is the white, this is no namby-pamby, anemic, oh, God loves everybody. This is no namby-pamby, anemic, indulgent love. This is the white, hot, self-giving, sacrificial love of the eternal, triune God. This is at the heart of the, this is the mystery. Who can understand it, as Charles Wesley says in, 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 in that verse, we don't too often sing, um, and can it be? In vain the firstborn seraph tried to plumb the depths of love to God." And he goes on to sing, "'Tis mercy all, let heaven adore, let angel minds inquire no more, because we know the truth of the mystery, it is revealed, but the reality of the mystery is, is beyond, is wonderfully beyond our, our, our probing its depths." So here this has been revealed, and Paul then uh, the mystery that 's been hidden, let me get back to my place here. Um, um, if you have heard of them you know paul says i 've written ahead before, if you read that you 'll understand something of my understanding that God has given me through this revelation um, in into this into this mystery. Then we come to verse in verse three. Paul speaks directly about the content of God's great plan, of the content of this mystery, of the content of the many-splendored wisdom of God. Uh, 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 According to Revelation, it's given to me my understanding in it, um, which you'll be able to comprehend if you read what I've said before, which to other generations was not revealed to the sons of men, why does he use the phrase, the sons of men, there? It really means to human beings. This mystery is not known by human power. From our mere humanness, our human power, we could pursue it forever. We, we could not have found it out. It would not this is not a matter of, of, of human ingenuity or of even of, of human discovery. It is a matter of revelation, which was not made known to them, but is now made known through whom? His holy apostles and prophets in and by the Spirit. You know, it is those... Now, don't make this too esoteric up here. It's rooted in history. As we've talked about the apostles before, they are the ones Jesus chose, commissioned uh, to, to, to proclaim the truth about Him. He began, even while He was on earth, after the resurrection in particular to explain to them how he fulfilled the old testament just go look at Luke 24 go look at the road to Emmaus and you'll find him opening their eyes to see how he fulfills all the, uh, he fulfills how he should suffer and how all this is a fulfillment of of the old testament it's based clearly on but it's also the the comforter whom Christ has sent to them they, they, they perceive this truth. Their eyes are open to understand what Jesus told them and to grasp it through the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, and so it's been revealed then through the apostles and prophets in the Holy Spirit, and then we are told exactly what it is. That is. This is what it really is. And what's the next verse say? The Gentiles are fellow heirs, one body, member, uh, and 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 partakers of 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 the of the promises. Now, excuse me. Go ahead. By the gospel. By the by the gospel. Well, in Christ Jesus, by the gospel. Those the prepositions are important. They're in Christ Jesus by the gospel, and it this is so crisp in the original language. uh, fellow heirs is one word. It's like with heirs. And then it's one word for, uh, of one body, with body, one word for partakers, then of the promises. It's so crisp, crisply and sharply stated. Fellow heirs. Oh, my goodness. Paul talked about the, the Ephesians before They were they were separated. They they were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, all that God had promised in the Old Testament. They had no inheritance. Inheritance is everything. It's not you have a salvation and an inheritance. The salvation and inheritance are one. And and we talked then about the richness of the Old Testament language that the inheritance of the people of God in the Old Testament in the Promised Land was their not just real estate, but it was their share in God, in His privilege, in His blessing, in the people of God, and that He looked forward to the new heaven and the new earth, and to our own inheritance. Paul says, we have received an inheritance uh, back there in chapter, in chapter 1. And, um, uh, and they also are, he's, he's already referred to them as, uh, as being heirs, and uh, they've received the Holy Spirit, which is he, who is both the, the foretaste and the guarantee. I mean, he's a little bit of the inheritance now. But the foretaste and the guarantee of that, uh, of that inheritance. But they were, apart from Christ, apart from Christ they, had, they were aliens. They had nothing to do with that. But now they're fellow heirs with the faithful people of God from the Old Testament. And you know, there was at one time you couldn't, Jews and Gentiles didn't eat together, didn't to do all this. They're one body with them. And of course, that is the body of Christ. Paul is never, that's never, that back, you can't, you shouldn't read the word body here without reading, realizing that background in Paul's, in Paul's mind. They're fellow heirs, and one body, and hallelujah, fellow partakers of all the promises of God sal- for salvation from the Old Testament. All of that is included. And this is what? Well, you know, from the very beginning, Paul has emphasized, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, everything is in Him, in the Beloved. In Him, in Him, in the Beloved. They are fellow partakers in Christ. It could also be interpreted by Christ. The preposition has that that wide a range of meaning, and probably both are quite true here. It is by all that Christ has done, which we've mentioned before, His incarnation, His suffering, His death, His resurrection, His taking His seat at God's right hand in the place of authority. It's by all that Christ has done that we are redeemed. But it is also in union with Christ, in Him, that we are… Redeemed. This is all then by and in Christ Through the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news about Christ. You can't separate the gospel and Christ, but the gospel is the good news about Christ. The gospel is the proclamation of all that God has done in Christ. And it is through then the proclamation of the gospel, um, which Paul is doing, because that makes Christ available. It's through the proclamation of the gospel that. that this is all, um, that the Gentiles are able to participate in this. So it's all then in Christ. That's the the heart of the mystery, that this is all accomplished in Christ through the gospel. Um, So, um, let me pick up where I was here now. Sometimes I get going and then I have to come back and get my… my bearings here. Fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, uh, Paul says, of which I was made a, uh, now a minister or servant. Um, Paul is, is totally… Yeah, I'm at the right page. Paul is totally a minister or servant of the gospel. Um, Let me get my place here. "...of which I have become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me." Again, it's the grace of God given to me, a specific grace. "...according to the working of His power." So here it is then. My own life is integral to this. It is by the grace of God and by the working of God's power. He is, he is a minister or a servant. Paul's life is totally at the service of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God's grace, but it is grace that works that works God's power in his life. The, here we have a specific example of what uh, my Brother John Junman was talking about the other day: God flowing through, God flowing through. God's grace is given to Paul for this particular ministry, and it's manifest by the great power of God being shown within him in the preaching of the gospel. Um, We move then in verse 11 to the magnificent scope of God's plan. Paul's going to talk about the magnificent scope of God's plan. Um, Oh, Verse 10, I haven't done that yet. I um, haven't done quite a bit yet. Better not go to verse 11 yet. Um, yeah, well then, oh yeah, Paul, this is, this, is not, um, this is not Paul's greatness. Paul says, to me, who am the least of all the saints. That's not false humility. Paul did not have an inferiority complex. Don't worry about him. He didn't need psychotherapy for an inferiority complex. He's, he's stating something that's very true here. He's, he's the least of all the saints, in his mind, because he persecuted the church of Christ. And that also shows the greatness of the, uh, the wonder of the grace of God. But to me, who was the persecuted least of all the saints is this grace given, the specific grace given to the nations. Here, to the nations to proclaim the, the inexhaustible, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Now, what are those inexhaustible riches? Everything he's been saying, all the benefits that have been there from the beginning, and the inclusion of the Gentiles, all of this. That's why it's inexhaustible riches, the inexhaustible riches of Christ. Um, And to enlighten everyone, what is the dispensation or the administration of the fullness of this mystery? This mystery is now a reality. We're in the age when it is revealed, and my job is to help everyone understand that. That the inclusion of the nations in Christ is right here, right now, uh, to enlighten everyone um, that this mystery, this mystery which was hidden from the ages, from all the ages, for and from all the powers, the powers in heaven didn't know what God was doing even, in the God who created everything, who created the all. This has been the plan of the grand creator from the beginning. He has reserved its revelation until this time to show how it fits everything. And this is it. This is my job to enlighten people in this. Um, in order that he's re- God has now revealed it at this time, in order that it might be made known to the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, through what He does in us, through His grand redemption in us, the many-splendored wisdom of God. Now, through this gospel, through this grand truth, God is is this magnificent, the magnificence God is making, the manifold wisdom of God in providing this grand design of salvation is made known to all spiritual powers and all powers and everything that there is. And every Christ has triumphed over them. We've already seen that. He's taken His seat at God's right hand. And they stand in wonder and awe and have been totally blown away. That's the only way I know to say it, totally blown away by the many-splendored wisdom of God, by what He's pulled off for our salvation. Um, this is, no, as I've said before, no, Johnny, come lately idea, God's not in Christ, He's management. If it's proper to say it of God, it's a well-thought-out plan that He's had from the beginning until now. Um, Now this is all then, according to his purpose, the purpose of the ages, he's had it from forever, which he has now done or accomplished in Christ Jesus. Our Lord. I'm glad he tacked that on the end. It's very purposeful there at the end. Christ, of course, he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus, he's the Incarnate one. Our Lord, Lord, means His sovereignty and His divinity, but He is our. Lord. Oh, praise God. I have part in this because He is my Lord Is part of the people of God. He is our Lord in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In whom? Now, Paul has to keep getting back to this. He's going to end up with our benefits again. In whom? In this glorious plan, this is the man, this is the universal plan, but through it in whom we have confidence and access. We have access with confidence, with assurance, through the, through the faith in Him. Now, we've alre- one of these words is already… we've already been told that we have access to the Father uh, in one spirit, both Jews and Gentiles. It's doubled up now. We have uh, uh, confidence, boldness to come into His presence and access. There are two words here, and it's strengthened with the word with confidence. Paul's putting them all together to sum up and to impress upon us that through Christ, through this manifold mystery, we come right into the very presence of God and enjoy our fellowship with Him. This is this is the summary of what it all is for. You know, you can talk about these words. One of them has the idea of boldness of speech, but it's more than that. It's like in this assembly, I'm not intimidated. I can just stand up. I have. I, 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 it's that kind of boldness, I come into the presence of God. We talked about authorized access the other day. We talked about how it's more than just having a card. It's we're known. They know. He knows our name. It's, it's for part of the family. It's not the access of a card. It's the access of a daughter or a son who walks into the house and opens the refrigerator. Um, that's all summed up here. Whom we have access with… Com- uh, uh, boldness and access with confidence… Through the faith of him, that phrase is a bit ambiguous, um, or no, not ambiguous. It could have several meanings. One of them, it could mean, and most people take it to mean, through our faith in Christ, and that works. You know, it is through our faith in Christ, but it could also mean through the faithfulness of Christ. And um, you ask me which it means, and I'm going to answer you yes. I'm not going to make a choice. If I had to, I'd probably take the first one. But I think it is both. We have this through our faith in Christ, but oh thank God, the rock of it is not our faith to start with. It's the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. His taking on our humanity and make, and providing for our redemption and living a, a life of faithful obedience to the Father. And you see the, the, the great part about it, talking about it in terms of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, is that is a solid rock. <laughs> he is absolute, he proved himself absolutely faithful. He has accomplished that. So, in whom we have, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Good. Um, now, Paul makes, I'm going to make several applications out of this. Paul. Paul makes an, uh, an application here at the end. Of course, chapter 4 is when he starts applying big time. But um, he says, Therefore, I ask you, or I entreat you, do not be discouraged, do not lose heart, in or at or among the tr- my tribulations for you, which those tribulations, um, which... is." Well, not losing heart, really, which is your glory. That's kind of a surprising application at the end. I wouldn't necessarily have thought of it, but Paul obviously did. And he says, don't lose heart at my suffering for you. Why might they have lost heart at Paul's suffering for them? Paul's going through suffering big time. Just read Second Corinthians chapters like uh, 3 through 6, 7. Um, why should they be discouraged at that? Well, if Paul's suffering for this, maybe I will too. You know, they, may be, they, they might truly have cared about Paul and been concerned about him. I'm not saying there was no care for Paul there. But is this what is going to characterize the Christian life? Paul would have said, oh, probably so. Some more than others, yes. Because Paul conceives of the Christian life as both dying with Christ and living in the power of the resurrection at the same time. And that's more than, it is a death to my self-centeredness, but often it's suffering. Paul can talk elsewhere about his sufferings in that one we have a hard time with sometimes is filling up the lack of the suffering of the body of Christ. Christ suffered in his body when he was on earth and we are the body of Christ. And by his proclaiming of the gospel, Paul is extending the influence of the body of Christ. But he says, whatever you face, whatever comes your way, whatever you see, look around the world today. Do you pray for the persecuted church? Can you tell me which country in the world is the most persecuted? Anybody? North Korea. Maybe that'll change. Second, Afghanistan. And then they come after that. You'd be surprised at some of them, of course, we think of Somalia and Sudan and some of those things, but India's pretty high on the scale, Um, higher than China probably, Um, or maybe about the same. Uh, Nigeria, particularly northern Nigeria, can go on and on and on. If you look at how Christians are treated in the world today, if we take that seriously, we should wonder, what about us? (laughs) Because it's coming. Paul says, don't lose heart. That's the mark of who we are. That's your glory. That marks you as, as, as part of the body of the crucified and risen Christ. It's, you, you will suffer, but the power of the resurrection is there for you too. in, in, in your sufferings. Of course, some of our sufferings are just human sufferings. Um, everybody suffers. You know, I figured out long ago that... Um, You know, I could go my own way, and then whatever happened to me was my problem. Or I could follow Jesus, and then whatever happened to me was his problem. seemed to me to be a no-brainer. But anyway, um, this is the mark. So this, Paul says, is your glory. And so Paul presents this many-splendored wisdom of Christ to us as a comfort and an assurance in the things we suffer now. It's the mark of, of, it's the mark of the body of Christ. Don't be discouraged by him. It's your glory. It's your mark. It's, your, it, it's what brands you as the people of God. Now, at the same time, don't go out and try to suffer. He's not telling you that. Don't go out and generate suffering for yourself by your foolishness. Some of us have done that at times. You know, We've done some foolish things and suffered for them and then thought we were suffering for the body of Christ. Well, maybe we were, but we wouldn't have, have, would have had to in those circumstances. The other thing, this fits so well... After Missionary Day, Paul is not talking directly about missions in one sense, but really he is. Now, because his whole ministry is for the inclusion of the nations in the people of God. And Paul was co opted for that mission in a very special way. He is the Apostle. I mean, God chose him specifically not only to. Other people preached to the Gentiles, but not just to carry the message to the Gentiles, but to make it clear that this was the plan of God. He had a special mission, and he was co-opted by that. But you know, the Great Commission co opts all of us to some degree. All of us are to participate in this grand scheme of, God, of, of bringing the nations to Christ, every one of us. I was sitting there thinking last night, we talk about praying and giving and going, Um. And you need to realize it's not some that pray and some that give and some that go. Now the proportion may be different among different people, but even if you're not called to go to another culture, you are called to go down the street and go to your neighbor. So there's always a going element in it. And even if I am am serving as a missionary in some country, you better believe I'm praying. (laughs) not just for me, but for other people because you're, you're facing it every day, but doesn't exempt me from giving. You know, I know my own children on the mission field give. I'm not sure how much into all, but I know they give some because I have a signature on their bank account. <laughs> and that's not all they give because they, they have other accounts and do other things. But you know, there's a burden on their hearts. I know. And so, you know, it's, it's not that some do, some may, some may not have much to give. That doesn't mean you can't give anything. Some may not have much to give and may be prohibited from going very far, and, and most of what they do is pray. But the proportion may be different, but it's there for all of us. And as Paul, because, because friends, it is God's great plan for the nations. We are some of those nations from Paul's point of view, because we're not most, unless some of you may have Jewish blood in you. You know, my children gave me Ancestry.com, this thing, you know, so I... I haven't suckered, I haven't gone and found all my joined up and paid the money, but I did get my DNA done, and I know I'm, in, I'm as squeaky Northwest European as you can get. You know, I don't have any Jewish blood in me. Um, I would be very happy if I did. I'm not. I might be. Well, I won't say that. Uh, but uh, but um, some of you may. But the point is. The nations now are included in the people of God, and that, that is the glory, the many-splendored wisdom of God. We're redeemed in Christ. We have these privileges in Christ. We're brought into fellowship with Him, and it is for you, but it isn't just for you. And you don't get it until you get this. You know, I used to think that I knew Christ, and therefore I was a member of the people of God. And that is true but there's another side to it. I relate to Christ differently because I am a member of the people of God. I cannot come to Christ in the fullness of the way He wants me to. I cannot fully participate in the blessings that Christ has for me unless I do it with you and with the people of God. It is essential our fellowship in the body of Christ is essential for each one of us to fully participate in the blessings that Christ has for us. Oh, this truth of the body of Christ and being the dwelling place of God. If it doesn't blow your circuits, if it doesn't just turn your crank, it's the answer to all the alienation and the loneliness and the, the, the struggle that we have to be part of the body of Christ joined to Him. Let us pray. Father, these great truths, the great truth of the many-splendored wisdom of God, His grand plan for the union of all things with Him through Christ Jesus, our Lord, making us part of the body of Christ and in fellowship with Him, and offering this to the nations of the world. Lord, in Press and implant this truth in our hearts and lives, may the reality of it overwhelm us, that we might participate in it and be part of the great commission that extends the offer of, sal- of the many-splendored wisdom of God, of the union, of the, of, of the participation of the Gentiles and the promises of God in and by Christ through the proclamation of the gospel." Don't let us be discouraged, but let us be greatly encouraged by the great vision of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me see. Whoops, I was going to ask for questions, but my time's up.